0: this weekend and I, I felt like I woke up one morning and I, I like I'd hibernated through spring and summer and fall and I was all the way back in November at the beginning of winter. I don't know what happened and uh, but I guess winter just wasn't done with us. I'm new to the north so this is probably normal for you guys but uh, for me when it's April I'm expecting there to be warm weather and uh, the snow to be on its way out not coming back. But it's, it's all good. So this morning we are continuing on in our, in our series in the book of Ephesians. We've just been walking through it over the last couple of months, um, since the beginning of the year. And, and just kind of just taking it piece by piece and just reading this incredible letter. And just seeing what, um, what God has to say to us and what the Apostle Paul has to say to us. Because if you don't know about the, the book of Ephesians, um, this may have actually been the last letter that the Apostle Paul ever wrote. He wrote it while he was in prison, on his way, knowing that he was probably going to die. And so, the the Book of Ephesians is a lot like the last words that that someone has to say. If you had final words to say to somebody, what would you say? And so, this is the the Apostle Paul, the the Apostle who who um, who went all throughout the the Roman world um, in Greece, right at the beginning of the early church, and just um, kind of brought Christianity, brought the faith in Jesus to all of us, to um, Gentiles, to people who weren't Christians, and he just took. The world by storm. And, uh, so these are his last words, his, um, that he had to say to us. And so we've been walking through it, and it's pretty incredible stuff. He talks a lot about, the first half of the book, he talks a lot about, um, just who God is and what he has done for us, the grace that God has given to us, the life that he has given to us in Christ, just the incredible richness of who God is and, uh, his blessings for us, and what it is like to to live in him, how we are his sons and his daughters. We have an inheritance with him. and a hope for the future. We we were adopted by Him, and uh, and it's incredible. I like, can imagine, like, like we are God's. And we are now God's children, and have access to all of the, the benefits that that brings. And then partway through the letter, um, and the big thing Paul kind of talks about is he talks about this. There, there's this idea of um, there's an old way of living and there's a new way of living. And he and he talks about it. There's like a, an old humanity when we're in sin. There's a when, there's an old way of being human. And it's not a very good way of being human. It's kind of being half human. And in Ephesians two, he talks about us being dead. And uh, the common analogy now that people use it's like it's like the Walking Dead. It's like the zombies. And uh, the idea is that we are, are dead on the inside, and uh, Jesus comes and he makes us alive. And then he begins to talk about this new humanity and what it looks like to have new humanity to really truly be human for the first time what does it actually mean to be human what does it actually mean to be in a community of people um, who are living out as as new humans and so that's what we're walking through right now we're looking in chapter 5 we're going to read through um, chapter 5 verses 1 to 20 if you want to turn there in your bibles and so paul's just gotten really practical and he's just telling us what does it actually mean to be human what does it actually look like to be really truly fully human to really be alive And so we're going to walk through this passage, and um, I'm, I don't have too much to add. It's the incredible thing about Paul, and so I'm just going to try and highlight some things and discuss some things, maybe, maybe um, help us sit on some things, and we're just going to look at what Paul has to say um, today about what does it mean to really be human. And so why don't, we, uh, why don't we read through it together? We're going to read through it slowly together, verses 1 to 20, I'll read it if you guys want to follow along. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. And just while we're reading it, just, let's just um, slow down and, and take it in and just let God speak to us through this. This is God speaking to us through the Apostle Paul. It's Ephesians chapter 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity, or covetousness, must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, whoever is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, For it is shameful to even speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, I just pray this morning that as we open Your Word, as we speak Your Word, God, that um, that You would just be heard, that we would um, hear from You. That you would speak to our hearts, God, and, uh, and move among us. Give me uh, just the words to speak, God, and, and uh, all of us hearts that are open to you. Amen. All right. So, as we walk through Ephesians, Paul starts this passage, um, which at some points is really encouraging, at other points, there's warnings in there, very serious. But this is how he starts the passage. He says, "Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children." When Paul begins this, he he wants us to be imitators of God. And what does that mean? When we when we think of of being an imitator of God, what do what do we think about? Do we think about maybe we think of someone who's being fake, someone who's not being themselves? But when I think about, especially with this as beloved children, is I think about my kids. I've got two kids. Um, Ethan's two and a half and Judas almost seven months and when I when I look at at Ethan um, When I I was reading through this and think about your own kids. What do kids love to do when they're little? They love to be just like their daddy Or their mommy they love to be just like you so Ethan's favorite things to do are to go And put on our winter boots and drag them all around the house and track dirt everywhere But he's just got to wear them. It's it's and usually it's mommy's boots and it's kind of funny and uh, but he's got mommy's boots on. He'll put my gloves on, my big winter gloves, and he'll just kind of try, you know, go all around the house and look at me. I'm, you know, I'm wearing the boots. Or he'll take mommy's sunglasses out of the purse, and uh, and put them on. Like, yeah, not not great. We're not always, you know, super thrilled about it, right? But he's just trying to be like us. He wants to be like us. When, now that he's talking more and more, oftentimes we'll be talking to him, and he'll repeat the last word in a sentence right he'll, he'll 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 repeat back right he's 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 learning from us by imitating us by doing the things that we do that's that's how kids learn kids learn by watching us even if they don't know that's how they're learning they do what they know and they know who we are and so that's when i look at ethan and i see him and I, and when i see the good things in him i go awesome you know Good. You're, you're being friendly to people. You're smiling. We're doing good when you're, you know, maybe being grouchy or those things. Usually I can go, man, I was a grouch yesterday or a couple of minutes ago and now you're responding the same way. So it's the good and the bad and the ugly, but we imitate. And we, and we do the same thing as adults too, right? We, we imitate people around us. The people who are around us influence us. That's why friends are important. That's why the people who we hold as heroes and mentors are important. It's very, um, it's true. The people you hang around, wh- whether or not you think they're they're affecting you or influ- influencing you, they are. And um, it, it's not hard to see. Like you, even just look—not to get political—but you just look at the way the American um, presidential race is going, and not to say for or against, but you look at how one presidential's candidate's supporters just continue to get more and more. Um, and in general, it's becoming more and more violent because it's becoming encouraged more and more by certain political people. They're encouraging it, right? You just have to watch the videos and, um, and, and, and hear him speaking it. And so then they imitate him and become like him because they're, they idolize him, right? And, and, and we become like that as well. And so, but God wants us to imitate him. Paul says, imitate God. Don't be fake. But he wants us, the way way that we learn, the way that we grow as humans is to imitate God. To be like God. We can look at Christianity, we can say this is this list of rules that I have to do to be a good Christian. These are the things God wants me to do for him to be happy with me. No, that's that's not really what it is. It's that the Bible shows us who God is. And we learn what it means to be human by following him and doing what he does. So we are to imitate God. God, like children imitate their parents, right? God is our Father, and it, it even says it right in the passage, as beloved children, as loved children, children who are loved, imitate God. And so that's what this passage is about, that's what these next verses are about, is Paul is going to, going to unpack in really three broad areas, what does it look like to imitate God? And there's lots of things, but in this passage, there's three ways we're going to look at what does it mean to imitate God. And why would we want to do it? Let's start there. We always got to start at the why would, we want to, why would we want to follow him. And because you will always struggle with following him if you don't go back to the why and get the why right, right. Because how we see God, how we view God as our dad, as our father, will influence everything, right? Is he mean and standoffish and have super high expectations and judgmental and critical of us? Or is he loving and kind and merciful and gracious? And does he bless us and does he pursue us? Right and that's what paul talks about in at the beginning of ephesians That's who our god is is, he is a god who pursues us who loves us who gives everything for us And is merciful to us And so when he asks us to do things maybe to give certain things up certain patterns certain habits certain things that we like It's because he loves us and he has something better for us And so let's look at what those things are So the first thing is walk in love Paul says to walk in love, verse 2, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the primary way. This is the main way that we are to imitate God. We are to imitate God by walking in love and loving the way God loves us. It's the primary way. It's the thing that holds it all together. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul talks about how it doesn't matter how talented you are, it doesn't matter how great of a speaker you are, what kinds of gifts you have, all of these things. If you can't love people, it's worthless. That's what Paul says. Right? He says, if you can speak in the tongues of men and angels but don't have love, you're like a clanging cymbal. It doesn't matter how eloquent you are, if you can't love people, you're just a clanging cymbal. And I don't like a clang, I don't know about you, but I don't like an off-tune clanging cymbal. Okay? I like cowbell. But I don't like a clanging symbol. And we have to learn to walk in love. Love is not just an idea. It's not just a thing that we do loving things once in a while. But this is the primary way that we live as new humans in Jesus is love. If you want to know how you're doing in your relationship with God, you got to check how you're loving. If you stop loving people, you need to go back to God and spend some more time with him, right? That's that's one of my main meters when I go, how is my relationship with God doing? Wow, well, I'm pretty short-tempered today. I'm being pretty rude. You know, I'm snapping with my kids. I'm snapping with my wife. These types of things. Well, did I read my Bible today? No. Did I pray today? No. Did I do it yesterday? No. Oh, okay. Here's the problem, right? Love is one of the ways that it's is, is how we gauge it. Love is so important. Jesus even says that they will know you that they will know that you are my followers by how you love one another. Right? Would people in our country look at Christians and know Jesus by our love for one another? Would they look at you and know Jesus by your love? It's challenging, but it's so important. And so what, what is love? What does, it mean? what does it mean to have love? And what Paul says here is he says, love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Easter was last week. Jesus' love is selfless and sacrificial. It costs us something. It costs him everything. And so love is selflessness. Love is self-sacrifice. Love is putting others before yourself. Putting others' needs before yourself. That is what love is. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not self-seeking. Right? Again, 1 Corinthians 13. And Jesus' love is the answer. It saves us, it heals us, it convicts us, it strengthens us, it encourages us, it inspires us. Jesus' love is the answer. Jesus' love is what you need. The love that he has for us. The love that he showed us at Easter and he continues to show us. But why... Why this word walk in love? Paul talks about walking in love, and later he talks about walking in light. Why does Paul use this image? What is it about walking in love? Why doesn't he just say, do loving things? Or be more loving? When you think about about walking, what kinds of things come to mind? Action, right? Walking involves stepping. It usually involves going somewhere. You're usually walking somewhere. You're right. You're not just standing still, thinking about it or talking about it. You're actually going and doing something. Usually when you're walking, you're on a journey, right? And the idea is that as you're walking, you're growing, right? So you're growing in love. You're not, you finish, in a different place than where you started are some of the, the things that, that come up when we start thinking about walking in love. And the other thing I think about is the shoes we wear. Again, thinking about Ethan and how he just loves to put our boots on and our, and our shoes on. And, and what you wear when you go for a walk is very important. What, when you, whatever you wear is important for what you're doing, right? I, I worked for my daddy as a bricklayer you know, for a year before I was pastoring here. And I could not show up to work with sandals or sneakers or bare feet, right? I have to wear the proper shoes. If, if I come to work wearing sandals, I'm going to hurt my feet. And I could seriously injure my feet and maybe not be able to walk anymore, right? But wearing steel toe boots, I can, I can walk around without any fear of anything, especially if they're good ones, right? A nail, I've got steel in my soul, so it's just going to bend and it's going to be fine, right? I can kick things to move them into place. It's not a big deal. I don't have to worry about stubbing my toes, right? And so love, when we're walking in love, it's also like the shoes that we wear as we go through life. Because as we are journeying through life, life is not easy. There are times when life is very difficult, right? When you're walking around on stony ground, on, broken, on a broken mess, Right? Try walking on glass in your bare feet. Sometimes life is like that. Sometimes life feels like you're walking on a, on just a broken pile, right? Your dream shattered. Everything's broken, right? Sometimes things are just a mess, right? You're just walking around, it's like you're just walking in muck, walking in in just in just dirt and mud. And what kind of shoes are you are you wearing, right? Because we can talk about how people walk in fear or people walk in pride or people walk in all kinds of things But we need to walk in love. We need to be wearing love So as we go through life, it is love that's protecting us. It is love that is holding us together Love is incredibly powerful So we need to walk in love It needs to become a part of us what the, the The image it 's just it 's so involved it 's not just an action that we do it 's a part of who we are right and so the the idea and the thing is is that we need to become people of love we don 't just need to be people who do love more often who are more loving or more kind, but we actually need to become people of love and it can happen we can we can go for, so that our knee jerk reactions when people you know, offend us is love instead of revenge. It can happen with Jesus. We need to become people who love, people of love, where love defines us. Jesus' love defines us. And so, to do this, to become people of love, we need to pursue what love is and we need to reject what love is not. And that's what Paul talks about in the, re- in, in the verses that follow. Because love is selflessness. Love is Jesus. Love is self-sacrifice. Love is putting others before yourself. Not easy, right? But that's what love is, and we need to pursue that. And we need to reject everything that love is not. And what is the opposite of those things? Selfishness. We need to reject selfishness. And, And what Paul describes, he talks about sexual immorality and impurity and covetousness. Covetousness is is greed It's wanting what other people have it's incredibly selfish we need to reject selfish love our culture is so obsessed with sex just like their culture was and and sex we now equate sex with love and that's not true unfortunately that we do that and so it's hard for our young people even when they think about love and if they love someone it automatically goes towards sexual desire And it shouldn't have to. Because our our culture is so messed up, because our culture is so selfish when it comes to sex. It's all about my needs and my desires, and if I want it, I can go and get it. Anything goes. If it feels good, it's good. And it's selfish. Getting married and remaining faithful to one spouse Requires selflessness. A lot of selflessness. And even within that marriage, we can become selfish in how we approach sex and we can't allow that to happen. We have to be selfless and put the other person before ourselves. The beautiful thing there is if you get two people who are pursuing Jesus and are selflessly loving the other person, there's nothing to worry about because you're taking care of each other's needs. You don't need to worry about taking care of your own needs. But it's hard and it requires vulnerability. But our our culture is all about it's all about sexual immorality. You can't, you can't hardly watch a kid's show anymore without there being innuendos and suggestions about sex. Commercials for anything, right? Everything is sexual in our culture. And it's not right. And we need to reject that. It's not that sex is bad. Sex is good. It's from God. But it was designed for a specific purpose and a specific use within marriage within a relationship that is so bonded together through covenant and love and selflessness, that the vulnerability and the, and, and the joy that, that comes from it, because it's incredibly damaging, right? When, it's you, when we use it selfishly, we hurt other people. And so you have it in a relationship that is selfless and is founded on Jesus and on, and on self-sacrificial love, then it becomes the most beautiful thing in the world. And so we need to reject our culture's views of sex. They're not right. And the other thing Paul talks about is is filthiness, foolish talk, and crude joking. We need to reject the way that we speak to one another. And choose to speak to one another in love. It's very easy to be Sarcastic, And I'm not saying that all sarcasm is bad. Sometimes in a, in a great relationship, it's, it's kind of loving to be sarcastic with people. But a lot of times, sarcasm is actually very damaging and very hurtful. Right? Just making loose, callous jokes. That's what she said. Your mom jokes. That's what kids love to do, right? At different stages, right? The office is, is done and gone with as a TV show. But when it was on, everything was, that's what she said. That's disgusting. If you stop and think about it. Yeah, you can get a laugh out of it because it's witty and you made a witty thing. But your mind actually goes to a place where you see every clean thing, every good thing as sexual. You just walk around thinking sexual things all the time. That's kind of gross. And it's, it's not very good. And it, it kind of ruins life for you because you can't see things without all the other stuff, right? Foolish foolish talk, filthiness, crude joking. It's not about a list of swear words. This word is good, this word is bad. It's about how we speak to one another. How we speak about life. Do we speak loosely and callously? Do we just quickly throw insults at people or not care about people? Speak lightly of situations? No, we can't do that. We need to be encouraging. We need to to lift one another up. We need to love one another with our words. It's important. It's hard. Right? It's easy to do that. It's is, is, is easy to not worry about what I say and to just react. It's easy to, to, when I'm upset, just use my words to hurt somebody else or to not care about anybody else or be indifferent. But we can't be like that. And it's so important that Paul warns us. And he tells us that if we pursue this lifestyle, if we pursue living like this, if we do the opposite, if we, if we pursue being selfish, that we actually can, we don't have an inheritance with God then. It says if you pursue this lifestyle of sexual selfishness and crude joking and crude thinking and all these things, if that becomes who you are and you can't, and that's who you want to be, and those are the things you pursue and make a habit out of your life, then you have no inheritance with God. Now and in the future because all of those things are the opposite of who God is, right? As a parent, if you have a child who for their entire life rejects you and does everything they can to to make your life miserable and, and reject your rules and everything you try and do and help them, they just, they just choose the opposite. It becomes very difficult to live with that child, right? And I'm not advocating kicking kids out. I don't often think, I don't always know if that works, but I know of, of, uh, I had friends growing up who they were so horrible to their parents and to their families, choosing to be selfish, that their parents said, we can't have you here anymore because it's it's not fair to to your siblings. It's like that. If we just choose to be selfish, how can we expect God to say, okay, yeah, come on in. It doesn't mean that we don't make mistakes. It doesn't mean that we're not. we don't still have sin in our lives. But it is, what are you pursuing? It matters. And he also gives another warning. He says, don't let anyone deceive you with empty words. It is not hard to find a church in this world, maybe up here in the north. But you go to a big city, you can find a church that will tell you that you can do whatever you want. You will find people who say, it doesn't matter what you say, it doesn't matter how you talk, it doesn't matter, get divorced, that's fine, no big deal. There, are, well, And sometimes you may not find it in a church, you just have to go online, find the internet, find a TV evangelist, find an internet personality, whatever, right? You know, people, even people who aren't Christians, who will condone behavior and say, it's okay. And they have philosophy and all kinds of, you know, cool opinions and, and ideas about things. But all it is, Paul says, all it is um, is empty words, right? It's just empty. They're just justifying sin. They're just justifying it. They don't have any basis for it, and it just leads to death. So he warns us. He says, we need to pursue love, and we need to reject what love is not. And God defines what love is. And we need to be careful. Because if we don't, if we think it doesn't matter, if we think we can have both, we're walking in really shaky ground. And don't be deceived because don't trust everything everybody tells you. Just because some guy pulls out some Greek words or Hebrew words or an out-of-context verse of the Bible doesn't mean that they're right. It's very easy to, to twist the Bible and make it say whatever you want. You just have to cut and paste. It's really not that hard. That's why we are looking through a whole passage, right? We talk about things we wouldn't normally talk about or like to talk about. We're forced to look at the whole picture. Well, let us walk in love. And when we walk in love, um, and the, the other thing about these things that we're rejecting is that if you try and pursue those things or have both, you actually they keep you from being loving and they keep you from walking in love fully. You go back and forth. You're frustrated. It doesn't work. Right? You can't be selfish and selfless at the same time. And it's very hard to turn it on and off and say, I'm going to be selfless right now and now I'm going to be selfish. It doesn't really work. So it actually keeps you from walking in love. And so the next thing that Paul talks about, that's the first thing. Okay. When we imitate God, we need to imitate His love and become people of love. Second thing is we need to walk in the light. And what Paul does at the start of this, after giving us these warnings and the difficulty of this passage, what Paul then does is he just reminds us. It takes time to remind us that at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. He reminds you that. If you are a Christian, if you are in relationship with Jesus, if you know Jesus, you are not in darkness. You are in light. He has taken you from that. He has put his spirit inside of you. He he has made you a new person. And you are no longer defined by sin. You are no longer defined by darkness. You are no longer defined by selfishness. You don't have to be any of those things anymore. Instead, your identity can come from him. And your identity can come from love and from light and from knowing him and he reminds us that that is who we are and so if this is who you are let's do it let's walk in it let's be those people and so how do you walk in the light what's the thing with with light what is what is darkness Darkness is the absence of light. Darkness is not its own force. It's not its own thing. It's the absence of light. So how do you walk in the light? And how do you know what the light is? Well, Paul says it is everything that is good, everything that is right, everything that is true. So if you are walking in things that are not good, right, and true... You're walking in an absence of the light and you're walking in darkness. And the other thing he says is, he he takes it a step further and says, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Think about it. Take time and think about how you're living your life and the things you're doing. It's so easy to just get up, have breakfast, go to work, come home, turn on the TV, go to bed. And we just go on autopilot, and we live our life, and we don't really think about what we're doing or why we're doing. And then we don't really get anywhere. But Paul reminds us to stop and think, and try and discern what is good, what is right, what is true. And again, he says that we need to become children of light, right? Just become children of light. We're we're children of God. We need to walk as children in light. And to do this, we need to focus on the light and we need to expose the darkness. We can't get anywhere by just simply looking at our sin and looking at our problems and wishing they would go away and getting frustrated about why they won't go away. We have to shift our gaze elsewhere and focus on on what is good, what is right, what is true. We need to focus on Jesus. Because that is light. And what happens when a light is turned on in darkness? The darkness just disappears. It's like it was never there. Right? And when our mind is constantly focused on the bad... Focus on the things we're struggling with, the things we need to deal with. It's not that we don't need to go and find out what those things are, but if you're just doing circles around, I just wish I could fix this, I just wish I could fix this, I just wish I could fix this, spend less time thinking about wishing you could fix it and more time just focused on what it would look like fixed. Instead of just being, I wish I wasn't getting so angry, I'm getting angry, I'm so angry, what would it look like to not be angry? What does it mean to not be angry? Well, I want to love instead. Wow. So start thinking about love. Start focusing on love. Start, right? In Jesus. And what it does is it's, impulses to exp- we, that we need to expose the darkness, right? It's like turning a flashlight on when we're doing that. We have an issue in our light, in our life. The issue, the, the, the way to fix it is not to go around in the darkness and try and deal with whatever sin or, or despair or whatever struggle we're dealing with in the darkness. It's to go and just shine a light on it. We need to reject the darkness. We need to expose it. Don't let sin remain a secret. The enemy tries to have us keep sin a secret. It tries to tell us to be ashamed, to be a fear of judgment and discipline. But when we keep things a secret, we keep things in the dark. And when things are in the dark, they just fester and grow moldy and get worse and you can't see what's going on. You don't know how bad it's getting because you can't see it because it's in darkness. And you, if you don't watch yourself, if there are things that you are keeping hidden, things that you know you need to confess to God and confess to other people, sometimes we need to confess to other people to just to get it out in the light. If there are things, if you don't, over the years it will grow and grow and grow and it will destroy you and you won't even know what's happening and you'll have a bigger mess to clean up than if we talked about it the first time and the thing is that the enemy would say to be ashamed of it he would say to be condemned that you're condemned by it but jesus would say that you were loved jesus would say i've already dealt with it jesus would say i already know i already know he would say, you know what, everyone else in this room has, has issues too. He would, right, he says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We are not condemned. There is no sin that can keep you from Jesus. And we experience freedom when we shine the light on, when we turn the light on. And we need to do that. And you think you can handle it by yourself, but you really can't. I went through a, a struggle before going to Bible college where... Um, my family was mistreated by, by a church, if I can just be honest. Don't need to go into details. But my family was, was mistreated, my whole family, by multiple people in the church, and, and we couldn't be there anymore. And I thought I could handle it on my own, and I tried to deal with it on my own. But what I realized actually happened five, six years later, when I was gra- after I graduated, was that I never actually dealt with it. And instead, I'd let bitterness take root in my heart. And bitterness choked out so much of who I was, so much love, so much good character, that it was affecting me and it was affecting all of my relationships around me. And it did all through Bible college because I wanted to hold on to my frustration and my anger and my hurt. And I didn't want to tell other people about it unless I was venting in frustration. Not because I needed to say, you know what, I'm the problem. And I watched it actually negatively affect me and take me back way further than, than I ever should have been. Instead of growing, I was actually shrinking. But I didn't actually knew I didn't know what happened until it got so bad, right? It's like roots growing underneath the surface until all of a sudden they all sprout up, and you don't realize how bad the problem is, right? You got mold in your walls, you don't know how bad it is until you open up the walls, right? Doesn't mean it hasn't been growing for a long time. Doesn't mean the problem's not huge, right? And that happened in my life because I was bitter. And it was a way bigger mess to clean up. And I have way more regrets because I didn't clean it up. And the way I had to clean it up was I had to begin to talk to people. I had to talk to Ashley. I had to talk to friends. I had to talk to God honestly about it and say, I'm the problem. doesn't matter what those people did to me even if it's not right. I'm bitter about it. I'm holding it over them. And I need to deal with it. We all will come at different points in our lives where there are things that are hidden that need to be exposed. The thing is, is that I don't have to be afraid of sharing something like that because Jesus has taken care of all of it and there's freedom in him and that I don't have to be like that and I'm not like that anymore. I'm not bitter. It's a painful memory, but I'm not bitter and I don't wish ill of anyone who's involved and I actually can see certain sides and certain things that went on and can love anyways and can forgive. But I couldn't do it on my own. And I let Satan trick me into thinking that I could and it didn't get me anywhere. So I can tell you from experience, don't let things stay hidden. We never end up with a failed marriage because of a single thing that happened. There's always a series of of smaller steps that lead to that place. You don't go and have an affair on a spouse just because. There are there are thoughts and feelings and smaller mistakes that are made along the way. Right? You don't end up hating someone just because of one little thing. And so, if we don't want those things to happen, we need to expose them. We need to just get them out in the open. Live in the light. Don't let things... Stay hidden. And sometimes it takes talking to other people about it. And sometimes it's really, really scary to say, I have a problem. This is what it is. And then a few weeks later, ah, it came back up again. Same problem. Right? Sometimes it takes a while. But you... When we actually talk about it, when we actually shine a light on it, that's when real freedom will actually happen. You can actually have real freedom when that happens. Because there's nothing to be afraid of anymore because the fear weighs you down and the fear keeps you from walking free. But as soon as, as, soon as it's out there, as soon as God you're confessing it to God, as soon as you you know, there's like a couple trusted people around you who know there's nothing to be afraid of. There's nothing that you're trying to hide anymore. It's just, you know, right? It's just out there. And then there's incredible freedom that can take place and that's when God can actually begin to work and change you. So we need to walk in the light and we need to expose the darkness. Because if you want to walk in light, if you want to walk in love, if you want to have a free, joy-filled life, you can't hide in the dark. And it's scary and it takes guts, it takes courage but that's the worst that, that, that it is. It only gets better from there. And the last thing Paul talks about is walking wisely. He says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And he goes on. We need to walk wisely. We need to stop and we need to think about it. And the big thing I get from this is that don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. There is too much at stake in the short time that we have on this earth to waste it. Life is too precious for us to just binge watch netflix and and just get drunk all the time and that's exactly what he says he says don't get drunk it's a waste of time and you know and when you're drunk you don't remember anything you don't deal with your problems you're escaping it's the opposite of walking in the light and walking in love don't get drunk he doesn't say you're not allowed to have a glass of wine or a beer he says don't get drunk don't do it it's a waste think about how you live make the most of your time your time matters. How you live your life matters. There's too much, there's too much at stake. There just, there just is. There's, there's so many people in this world who are just lost and they're dying and they're suffering and there's nothing they can do about it because they don't know. Right? They don't know Jesus. They don't have the solution. There are, There's so many problems in our world that need solving, that need fixing. Poverty and sex trafficking. Slavery we think slavery is done with? It's not. There's even slaves in Canada. They work on farms in some places, and every once in a while a farm gets caught. Slavery is a real thing. But we're too busy on social media, we're too busy watching TV, we're too busy having fun, that there's so many problems in the world that we could solve, we could fix, God could use us to change the world. But we're just content to not worry about it. There was so much good that could be done in our community, right? And everybody's busy. Everybody has the same amount of time. So someone who is going out and changing the world and making a difference and making the most of their time has the same time and the same resources and the same abilities that you do. They've just decided that they would rather do something with their time, right? And make the most of it. And it's hard. It's hard. It's like breaking in a new pair of shoes. A really stiff pair of shoes sometimes, right? You're, you're going in the right direction. You want to go somewhere, right? But it takes a little bit of work to get used to it. The change have us. The change, thought patterns. The change, who we are. But Paul warns us and he, he says, it's important, be wise. When you're making decisions, be wise. It's not always about what is right or what is wrong. It is about what is wise. It's not wrong for me to spend an afternoon watching Netflix, but it is not always the wise thing for me to do. Right? Sometimes it's perfectly fine. Sometimes it's good to rest and relax. Right? We can't go 24-7. But what is the wise thing to do? What is the wise course of action for your life? The decisions you're making? Is this the best thing for me to be doing with my money? You know that the richer you are, the less money you give? And the less content you are? They do studies all over. In the richest neighborhoods in California, they all wish they had more money and they don't give anything. The poor neighborhoods give huge amounts of money away and they're happy. Funny how that works. We have enough stuff, we have enough money, we have enough toys. Right? Most people in the world are living off a dollar a day, living in houses that are a quarter of the size of this room with their whole family. We have enough. It says, instead be filled with the Spirit. Don't get drunk with wine, instead be filled with the Spirit. And the Spirit gives us life, gives us love, gives us purpose, gives us courage and boldness. Gives us a mission. And there is so much for us. God has so much for us. So much joy. So much life. So much adventure. That if we would just follow him. And let our selfishness go. He changes our lives. And life is so much better with him. And it's hard. Sometimes it means downsizing. And sometimes it means staying where you are. Sometimes it means moving across the globe, and sometimes it means just walking across the street. But just don't waste your life, especially when you're young, and I'm still young, especially people who are younger than me. I don't think as quickly as I do, kids, students. I think slower than I did when I was in high school. I remember doing homework in college one year to the next and going, I can't stay up as late as I used to, as I did last year. I can't write this assignment as quickly as I used to. Oops. It happens. When you're young, you have energy. You have an ability to, to, to suck stuff up. When you're young, you can learn an instrument in like a week, if you wanted to. Your brain is just open and saying, bring it. When you're older... Not always so easy, right? So don't waste your life. But there's never an end point. There's never a point in which your your, your life is wasted. What matters is what, you're, what are you going to do today? What are you going to do tomorrow? What are you going to do the day after that? God uses anyone and everyone at any time. And we don't need to... Like, Satan doesn't even need to bother attacking us most of the time in our culture because we're so distracted by our stuff that it doesn't matter. He just goes and makes life hell for everybody else in the world. For us, he gives us lots of stuff, so we think everything's awesome. And other people, he just goes and and makes life horrible for them. It's because we don't... He doesn't need to worry about us. He doesn't need to worry about the North American church because we care more about... I don't know, all our stuff. We care more about going to a cool, fancy service. How good the music was. How cool the speaker was. You know, doing events for ourselves. Right? And the rest of us, he's like, well, you don't even have to come to church all the time because your life is fine how it is, so it doesn't even matter, Right? He doesn't have to worry about us? We're not a threat to him. I don't know about you, but I would like to be a threat to the enemy. I would like that when I leave this planet, that the world is a better place because I lived in it. That Jesus is more glorified because I lived in it, because his kingdom has advanced more because I lived here. That God actually used me. Maybe... I'm sure lots of you feel the same way if we really stopped and thought about it no one wants to waste their life no one wants their life to count for nothing but do you want your life to count for something more than you want everything else so that'd be my challenge for you today if the worship team wants to come back up and we'll uh, we'll just spend a few minutes reflecting and